Hello and welcome back to Reeling in the Piers, where we chat a bit and discuss all sorts of movies. My name is Gary O'Brien, and for today's episode of Classics with Keen, myself and Keen are talking about the 1956 epic western, The Searchers. So stick around, we hope you enjoy. Akeen O'Drizzle, hello, who are we? Are we well? Very well now, Gary. How are you? I'm not too bad, I'm not too bad. You're back with another classic. The second instalment of Classics with Keen, Keen. I know, and I'm so happy that this is going to be uh, episode number 100. I can't believe that... Oh, uh... <laughs> I have some bad news for you. <laughs> no, 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 I know talking... I won't be, but I was looking at the numbers, the countdown. Don't Everyone's that, uh... talking to me about the numbers. I don't know what I'm doing yet. Leave me with it. It's a big milestone coming, Gary. It is a big milestone. I haven't decided yet. Leave. I don't know what I'm doing yet. I'm decided. Are you going to have a party, like a, a an expose party, yeah. kind of... Uh, yeah, all big time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're inviting all the celebrities. Pierce Brosnan, and that's it. Just Pierce Brosnan. Tim, Tim, Higgin, Tim Higgins. Who's that? No, no, what, no, what was... Who's the guy that you, you got on your, your uh, Instagram feed? Oh, um, Joe Rooney. Joe Rooney, sorry. <laughs> Joe Rooney, yeah. Tim Higgins? Oh, he plays Timmy Higgins in Kindle Scully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, I was talking about Yeah, he follows the Instagram, yeah. Whether well, he listens, go. who knows? If he is, hello, Joe Rooney. Thanks for listening. We love you and Father Ted. <laughs> I hope you like Westerns. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that should be that should be the intro. I should start doing that now instead. You know the way where I say, like, so stick around, we hope you enjoy? I should start saying, stick around, we hope you like Westerns. <laughs> that's most of what movies you pick. Because you're back with another Western. Who could have saw it coming? And not only a Western, but a Western with John Wayne. And not only a movie with John Wayne, but a John Ford movie. Who did The Quiet Man. I know. Yeah. Well, like, it was after The Quiet Man that, uh... You kind of put the question to me where you, uh, you asked uh, what I think of John Wayne or you know, in The Quiet Man compared to his other performances, like how would I have ranked The Quiet Man? It got me thinking that, do you know what? The Searches is probably my favourite film with him. Um, so, yeah, said we'd give this one a go and see what you think. For me, this is my favourite performance of him. It's a it's an outstanding movie, I think, because I think he plays a very, you know, linear sort of character. He, he In most of his films, it's always the same type of character so there's not much deviation and in terms of that i'd say this is his best performance of portraying that kind of character mm-hmm. so uh mm-hmm. yeah i'm happy to hear or, or yeah happy to hear your thoughts and what you think of good because you're gonna you're gonna get them <laughs> so whether you, whether you want to or not um so the keen i think this is your what your sixth or seventh time on the podcast and i think this is maybe the fifth or sixth western wait no so western wise we definitely did seraphim falls outlaw josie wales there's that uh, unreleased The Good, The Bad and The Ugly episode that will never see the light of day. Uh, there's also, uh, I think that's it. So this is maybe our third Western, I'm going to say, unless there's one I'm forgetting in the meantime. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I I, I lose track. I, I can't remember. Yeah, uh, so so you're still on this pursuit to get me to like a Western. And um, yeah, no, you're still going to keep trying because I thought this was, look, my hot take about this movie is, and I think you're right. Did you not like Seraphim Falls? Uh, who's in Seraphim Falls again? Liam Neeson. 
Mm, and who's who's acting beside him, Keen? I can't remember. <laughs> no, I can't remember either. He looks like he's from Navin, though, I will say that much. And he's 100% definitely invited to the 100-episode party. I'm looking at you, Timmy Higgins. <laughs> and also... <laughs> no, so... I did, yeah, no, I had a fun time. I had a very fun time with Seraphim Falls, actually. So, no, this, this is like one of the most Western Western movies I've watched because I think... So for anyone who doesn't know what it's about, Keen's going to explain it in a sec. But I think what's really important for people to know about this is this is one of the most popular westerns ever first of all and it's one of it's like i said it's an iconic uh, pairing between john ford and john wayne and then also it's it's one of the most it's a movie that's been influential to some of the biggest directors of all time so spielberg scorsese george lucas have all talked about how this movie has gone on to um inspire them in different aspects and we'll get into a bit later so it's quite a big milestone of a of a, of a western movie so if you haven't seen it why no if you haven't seen it makes sense because it's not really on my radar until i started doing a bit of research about this but keen for anyone who doesn't know what it's about can you explain it but also when did this get on your radar when when was this something that you were uh first uh what you call it exposed to put it that way <laughs> well uh first exposed to this i would have like all of these movies so far i would have watched this when i was very young my dad is a particular fan of westerns as well that's where i kind of got the the liking for them so we would have grown up in a house with i don't know other ones like uh shane is another famous uh western movie old movie uh we would grown up with that uh this and true grit uh again Mm -hmm. with john wayne thing movies like that we would have grown up with all them so you know i would have watched it from a very young age and like i think yeah you have the i don't know the habit of kind of describing these movies as you know sunday afternoon movies where you throw them on and rt rt tg Cacker. Yeah. You know, even just throw them on Sunday afternoon, cup of tea after l- dinner, lunch, whatever. And uh, yeah. so we would have watched it regularly growing up. Yeah. But this movie for me is 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 class because it's a real adventure. You get lost in it. And uh, I don't know. It's a. So what's it about? It's about a man, Ethan Edwards, John Wayne, uh, who is returning from the American Civil War. Uh, He's fighting on the Confederate side and he's coming back to his brother's house on the ranch in the middle of, uh, I don't know, middle, you know, middle, Midwestern. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the name of the actual place. I think it's Monument Valley or something like that. Typical sort of plains, sandy, desert, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, it's, it's basically about him coming home and to speed through it very quickly, there's his home is attacked by uh, a, a band of Indians, Comanche, and it's about them taking his niece and him organizing a party to go after them to hunt them down to bring her back, and just the the search or the endeavor to to catch up with them and yeah, but it it is kind of a bit about. You know, it's more more than that, but that's the kind of plot of the movie. Basically, is trying for is for him to try and you know return his niece, bring her back. Basically, yeah, yeah, to search for her. Yeah, basically, yeah. Oh, it makes sense. Um, yeah, absolutely. And um, I think so. It's it's also based on a book, I believe. Uh, it's based on a Frank S. Nugent. Uh, wrote the nineteen fifty four novel and um 
yeah, it, it was a it was a critical and commercial success. It's can be like I said considered uh, a masterpiece and one of the greatest and most influential movies ever made. It was on many many lists. I know the American um it's one of the, it's it's named the greatest American western by the American Film Institute in 2008 and then also Entertainment Weekly named it the best western as well. The British Film Institute of Sight and Sound magazine ranked it as the seventh best movie of all time on their 2012 International Survey of Film Critics and in 2008 the French magazine which I cannot pronounce the name of but it's Cahiers du Cinéma uh, ranked the search as number 10 in their list of 100 best movies ever made. And I think for me, is it the best movie I've ever watched? No. But is it one of the best movies ever made? And I would say yes, because how they made this, and I didn't look at much of the behind the scenes of it, but just literally what's on screen is incredible. The production design, the scale of it, and it's even the just the large sweeping pans of the planes. It's it's stunning and breathtaking. And I also read then as well that that's um, David Lean, who we talked a bit about before. He's the director of Lawrence of Arabia. He took a lot of inspiration from this movie for Lawrence of Arabia, for those big scenes out in the desert. Um, so in terms of how the movie was made, and also, sorry, I know I'm just doing a bit of a rant, because I, I I think it's important to tell you and the listener what I loved about this movie because again this is a classic with Keen you pick these I have thoughts on them and um, is that this is the first movie it's one of the first movies ever made that had a making of documentary crew with it mm-hmm. so they yeah. actually had a crew to show them how they made the props and the sets and stuff like film that film of the film a film of the film so yeah so it's really rare to see a movie know that it's special when they're making it as well so yeah, um, yeah I think for, from that that's what I took from this movie the most is than just like I said the scale and the production of it I think is incredible that yeah like when you when you look at what they they try to do you know, even the logistics of carting all the equipment out in the middle of the desert, you know, uh, like it was an immense amount of work. So like a lot went into it. And yeah, like I, I know it, it, it's maybe not a film for everyone. Okay. If you don't like Westerns, but then, you know, uh, certain things that, that, that that's, me. Right off. that's you, <laughs> but uh, other things like, you know, maybe the plot isn't exciting enough or maybe there's not enough action or, but there's so many other subtleties or like, you know, character developments and things that are really, really interesting that I, I kind of picked up more this time around because so I pre, like I haven't watched this film again in many years, but like when I was growing up watching this, you, you can't, you do get lost in the world. It's, yeah. it's easy. It's, and I think it's because the way the film is, uh, is shot. It's, uh, you can, it's, it's easy to, you know, just get immersed in the desert, the the, the search. Yeah. You know, you can. There are classic characters that you can kind of pretend to be um, if you're a kid growing up. Do you know? Yeah, yeah, hundred um, yeah. percent. But then, could, other I be, thing, could I be the annoying guy with the guitar? What's his name? Paul, Charlie. Char- <laughs> Hi there. Char- I'm the, that guy. One of the. You can be Moses. <laughs> Is that Moses? Is that who I'm thinking of? No, Moses, the bald guy who uh, just keeps showing up randomly. Yeah, I'll be Moses. Moses like knows. Moses knows. I saw something about him being actually based on a, on an actually he's based on a on he's played he's loosely based on an actual historical person called Mad Moses, and he was a half half crazy he was it says half crazy Native American fighter of the American Southwest with the fondest of rocking chairs. <laughs> you go. The more you know, the more you Moses. The more you most, there you go. <laughs> no, like it's 
it, it's an incredible movie for for so many reasons. But like this time around watching it, I was just kind of uh, taken aback by uh, I don't know the character development of um, yeah. Ethan Ethan Edwards throughout the movie. Like it's uh, he's really like growing up watching it, you're kind of thinking, oh, he's the hero. He's the yes. cool guy, whatever you know, and then. Watching it this time around, I'm like, man, this guy is an asshole. Yes. <laughs> he's so, like, he's not a good guy. <laughs> no, because I literally have my notes at one point, because I've only watched three John Wayne movies um, to date, and that's True Grit, The Quiet Man, and The Searchers. And if I'm perfectly honest, Keen, he kind of plays the same person in all three, which yeah. is a loud, arrogant man. But this one, I, and I think you're right in that it's, I think it's his best role. I don't think it's his best performance, but I think the nuances of this role are, are just really, really interesting. And again, we'll talk about it a bit, a bit later, but just to, just to focus on what you were saying there, which is just like, I didn't know whether he's, he's just an arrogant man or he's an arrogant actor. I'm yet to find out, Keen, because I haven't seen, I haven't seen him be neither yet because all of his characters are arrogant. Is he arrogant? I don't know, but I'm, 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 I'm going to find out. I will watch enough movies to make a decision. No, no, like I, it, it, that's the thing. Like the reason I picked this one as my favorite one of him is because I think a lot of the other westerns that he he's in or that he's done with John Ford as well is that like usually there's a love interest and usually he's playing this kind of character who's a bit of a same as same as the Quiet Man. Yeah. Whereas this one that's taken away and what's left yes is what we see on the film, you know. So yeah, it's uh, stripped back to the bare bones of what a character you know when there's nothing left to lose really you know yeah and it's funny you mention it that it's it's your favorite role because it's also john wayne's favorite role to the point in which he named his first uh, his youngest son ethan uh in homage to this movie i didn't know that there you go oh that's interesting but yeah no so like the, the there's many things to like about this movie i mean but it, you know it's uh, got a fairly simple plot um and i we discussed briefly beforehand you know like maybe it could have been done like a remake could be done now where they split it, you know, into a, into a, a you know, a mini five or six part series, mini series or something like that. But for this movie, I felt maybe there was, um, I do have some bad points about it as well. Uh, watching it, you know, with fresher eyes now. Uh, but yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, and I, I guess, I guess one thing that's interesting and it's an, it's a theme in a lot of our episodes is that you pick movies that have a, um, uh, how do, how do you say it? A slow burn, uh, which I would recall boring as fuck. But this movie, it, so this is my problem with this movie sometimes as well is it's, it's not a slow burn so much as it is. It's like breakneck pace in that like within like five minutes, they could have jumped five years. Yeah, uh, like it's it's very much like and they're here now after having done all this yeah. stuff and you're just like whoa let me just acclimatize to because the actors don't age there's no signs of no. any aging it's yeah, just like yeah. you're so like for me it was just like the play the, the pace moved very quickly but like you say the story is quite simple but it's it's really interesting the characters they meet along the way and how that how those interactions shape the characters to the decisions they make towards the end of the movie yeah. and I think because it moves so fast those 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 decisions or those changes don't feel quite natural which is why i was saying to you is i i'd actually love to see this remade um well well, i'd love to look i i'd be very intrigued to see it remade but i like you say like i said kind of like it's it's classic sign of a movie made into a book it kind of feels rushed so like it's a case of like i would have liked to see maybe a bit more time with each of those characters they meet along the way and maybe just told in a bit more of a uh i don't know a bit more delicate way like does the swedish man have to sound like the swedish chef do does the native was he swedish or german 
I don't know, Keen, but my God, I was like, this guy's putting on accent and it doesn't feel right. And I think that's another thing that's no, a bit... No, it didn't, it didn't fit. Well, do you know what? I appreciate the detail because a lot of the... Because I remember reading about this like years ago in a history or something is that, you know, a lot of those Midwestern settlers were not just like they were from all over Europe. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. 100%, so yeah, like yeah. it's a nice, uh, it's a nice little detail you know to include yeah but it's just more like brad his son has a normal voice and then we meet the dad and the dad's just going full swedish chef from the muppets and i was like <laughs> okay i'm not not ready for that and um, so there's elements of the movie where it's kind of a like it's aged poorly but mm-hmm. what i would tell people is this movie came out in 1956 that's a movie that's 80 years old like you can't you can't hold people from 80 years ago to the same standards that you hold people to making movies these days like there's <laughs> some horrendous obviously um not See. depictions of native americans but there's like white people playing native americans and it's it's it looks off but like i said it's 80 years ago it's like this was very commonplace and I, and I think there's a really interesting discussion around this in terms of, like you say, it's funny you mentioned that you thought John Wayne was the good guy when you were a kid, but now looking back on it, you kind of look at his his sort of hatred for Native Americans as nearly a character flaw rather than a, a sort of a sense of bravado. And I think that's what John, John Ford was kind of going for. He probably didn't yeah. execute it that well, but you can tell there's those, like even the sense of like... They're moving oh, away from with, this with, sort of black and white... Yeah. Exactly. I'll, I'll, we'll talk about it a bit in spoilers, but like, there's a really interesting point about his character later on that we'll get into. Uh, but I, yeah, that's a good point. Like, let's 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 pick a good point to tell people to fuck off and go watch this. So, is there anything else you want to talk about this movie from a non-spoiler point of view that might be able to win people over to go go watch it? Um, no. I mean, like, it's it's a it's an expansive story. It's uh, or no, it's, that's not true. <laughs> the plot is fairly simplistic, but the the, the the direct and turns are, are what like, yeah the the filming of it the yeah the production. you know it's it's beautiful the production yeah. uh, is beautiful it's got a great score yes unbelievable score like it's it's something to if you want to get lost for a couple of hours it's a yeah. it's a great movie to watch and it's very classic it's got a nice classic feel to it yeah. there are maybe um, some more sinister sort of undertones and things going on but like it's it's a good story just to immerse yourself in for yeah. If you're looking for something classic to watch, yeah. But yeah, after that, then I don't really have anything to say. Apart, you know, without spoilers. Yeah, I would say go off and watch. The, I tell you what, if you're looking for a classic movie to watch with your father or elderly relative, if, if, yeah, not elderly relative. Is your dad old? I don't know. I don't mean you, Keen. I mean the listener. But like, hey, it's a good. If, it's, if you see it on RT two and you're chilling out on a Sunday, go and watch it. There's some really cool nuggets of interesting filmmaking going on in this. There's a zoom shot that I particularly enjoyed and I would recommend. Watch it for the zoom shot. There's a good zoom shot in this movie. What zoom shot was that? Uh, I'll tell you, I'll save spoilers. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where, where you want to jump off with this. Is there any particular scene, character moment, anything else that just jumps out, easy, jumps out to you as something to get stuck into right now? Oh, uh, where to start? I mean, like... <sighs> I guess from the the get go, the very like, you know, re- maybe the very first scene, I suppose, is a good point. Here we go. This is going to be a long one. There we go. Right. <laughs> no, 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 no. We can <laughs> oh, skip dear. through it quickly. But the very first yeah, scene yeah. is kind of interesting because he's coming in off the desert, right? So you get a scene initially of like a nice um, wholesome family or whatever, and then suddenly you know you see this guy coming in off the plains, and you're. I don't know. This time around, I got a sense of foreboding. Do you know, like he's a bit, uh, 
you know there's something coming with them. There's trouble coming yes. with them. So it's you have this idyllic and you know, it's something I picked up on a lot this time around is that whenever the film the the movie is shot looking inside the houses, they're always very neat and tidy and composed. But every time you look outside, because he, I must have counted like 15 or 16 shots looking through a doorway in this movie. Yes, including the last shot as well, which I yeah. think really lends to your point, actually, in that like everything was kind of calm at the end and the only bit of chaos remained outdoors. Outdoors. John Wayne. Like, so that's something I picked up on this time round, and seeing him come like through the desert to the, house, the little ranch where his brother and his... Uh, his brother's wife are, it's just, you kind of get a sense of foreboding. So you kind of know that maybe, okay, from now now on, there's maybe things are going to go downhill, <laughs> yeah. you know, throughout the movie. But, but what's yeah, interesting like, is he didn't cause that chaos, as in the chaos was always kind of happening. He just so happened to arrive at the same time as the chaos. So the chaos being is that like a few of the neighbor's cows are being killed and John Wayne went to go investigate, but it turns out that was a distraction for the Native Americans to... Um, uh, I, I kind of nearly disagree because oh you kind of nearly or you do come on come on disagree know. with me come on fight me I've been trying to uh, you know in line with the uh, the idea of the podcast stuff I've been trying to kind of you know brush up on my observation skills for the movies okay. and stuff and okay. character developments and things <laughs> like this. this so I was yeah I was kind of paying a bit more attention this time around and I wrote down a few notes when I was watching. Good, good. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad it took you seven movies <laughs> to finally go, I might start paying attention to these. <laughs> no, um, no, because this time around, like this movie is particular, because I was very interested in his character because, okay, you say that uh, it, he didn't really cause any of it, but I would say that it would have, something would have happened anyway with him and this character because... Yeah. Yes. Yes. Particularly Martin. Uh, not just Martin. Like you see that, but like also he early on, it's 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 noted that he has a criminal record anyway. He mm-hmm. says that the Confederate War isn't over for him. Mm-hmm. Um, there's loads of telltale signs that he's still a very. He's got this loads of like loads of resentment and anger in him still. He's looking for something to spark. Yeah, because the because he wants a fight with the with the with the um the the, the, the guys who make him try to do the, the 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 speech or the pledge to the yes, United States, and exactly. he doesn't do that. He doesn't want to do it, you know. Uh, he's looking. It's not that he's actively looking. He's passively looking for a spark to you know to set him on a, another ven like vendetta or another yeah. something, do you know. And something I picked up on this time around. I don't know. Is it just the the t- like the time that this film was made? But some of his interactions with his brother's wife were also really strange. So, so I don't know, is this just a, a period piece kind of thing? Or like, was there a bit more going on there? I don't know. So according to John Wayne in a 1974 interview, John Ford hinted throughout the movie that Ethan had had an affair with his brother's wife and was possibly the father to Debbie. So Debbie being the one who gets kidnapped. So that meant that Ethan's thirst for vengeance stemmed not from the murder of his brother, but of the woman Ethan had loved. And then this was this was also a subtle hint that many viewers missed at the time. So it's not... Um, uh, see, and like, I, I don't know how many times I've watched this, but like younger at a younger age, I, I would have missed out on all of this. Like, I'd be more in, interested in the adventure part, but paying a bit more attention to it now, it's something I picked up on. And it's an important detail because I think Trouble would have found Ethan Edwards anyway in this movie at some point. 
you know, uh, it's not just the Comanches. And I think they were just, uh, because racism is a huge part of this movie also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, both, uh, both, both in terms of the story and how they made it. <laughs> and how they made it. It's really, there's some really bad scenes, but it, I don't know, is he inherently racist or is he just really, really, really angry and he needs something to direct his anger at? And it's just so, that the Comanches are in a, a, a convenient, uh, I don't know, a, a target for this. Would you like to know a fun little trivia Easter egg that might explain what your point is? Do. Uh, throw it out. So, throw it out. there is a significant portion of the film's plot is revealed on a throwaway prop that most casual viewers rarely notice. So just before the Native Americans raid uh, the Edwards homestead, there's actually a tombstone from mm-hmm. Ethan's mother, John Wayne's mother, uh, that Debbie hides behind and yeah. actually reveals the source of his hatred towards the Comanche because the tombstone says, here lies Mary Jane Edwards, killed by the Comanches, May 12th, 1852, a good wife and a mother in her f- 41st year. So if people have paid attention, nobody does. And that's the point. That's what I didn't pick up on it. I only just read it on the internet, Keen. So... It's funny you mention it because that's the whole thing I think is really interesting about this movie because he has a he has a distinct hatred towards Martin, who is Debbie's adopted brother, so therefore his adopted nephew. nephew. Some way. I don't know, yeah. how, don't know how it works out, but he's like one eighteenth Cherokee or something. No, one eighth. One eighth. Yeah, one eighth, and that seems to set off Ethan, and he immediately doesn't trust him, and he has this hatred towards the Comanches throughout. Even like though he said, found them and rescued them. Exactly, but we don't really know why he hates them so much because, and even there's a point later on when we find out, again, we're in spoilers now, so we can talk about it, where Debbie has been with them so long, been with these um, Comanches for so long that she ends up just becoming one and is one of the many wives of the leader who's called Scar, not to be confused with the lion from The Lion King, but, (laughs) um, and John Wayne's, Ethan, Ethan's immediate reaction is, well, I have to kill her now. Um, well, so, I, I don't know is it an immediate reaction like that's the thing he at, takes out a gun and spins it round and is ready at to the shoot end, her at the end you know the whole point of the searches is that this whole movie is about him and Martin uh, going to look for her and throughout the movie his focus slowly shifts to a point where you start to realise okay you don't actually know what he Ethan is going to do once yes. he finds her yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's not instant. It's a gradual change. Like him and uh, Martin, Paulie, or whatever, they start off looking for, I think, what's her name? Lucy and Debbie. Lucy and Debbie, are, yeah. They they set out looking for them. And that's the goal, is to find them, rescue them, bring them home. They find, uh, Ethan Lucy. finds Lucy, and she she's dead and died in a terrible way or whatever. Yeah. But slowly throughout this journey which yeah we don't know it might take years or whatever they travel all along the midwest way up north and everything and to like you you really get a sense of ethan's uh hatred his uh deep resentment anger uh you know really focus in on the comanche and you actually you start to think that maybe oh once he actually finds debbie what's what's he going to do yeah. You don't know because we're given a few scenes where they find um, women who have been held captive by the Comanche and they've been completely turned insane, traumatized. Yeah. Uh, traumatized. Um, so 
yeah, like you don't uh, you don't fully understand uh, how he's going to react once he finds her. So I don't think it's instant. I think it's a gradual change, which is part of his character development. When I said instant, I just more so meant that for so long you thought she was go- he was going to rescue her, and then when there's that point of which Debbie says to Martin, "I'm going to stay." That's when I was just like, and he goes, oh, he's so ready to kill her without any (laughs) step away, Martin. But it's actually a really funny point. Not really funny. It's a really interesting point you made there just about, you know, him just wanting to seek vengeance and stuff like that. And I think there's a really interesting thing in the fact that when you consider he's a Confederate soldier, i.e. someone who lost a war, and and when you said he he doesn't accept that loss, that he's still chasing a victory whatever way he can. And it's almost like this whole movie is him trying to prove that he can be victorious, albeit against a completely different enemy, i.e. the Comanche. So... It's it's just yeah, and I think that those are the sort of nuances to this character that I think is way more um, sort of fleshed out than maybe a, a quiet man or uh, ah, a exactly. secret. But yeah, exactly, and that's why like I even I, I like this movie even more after watching it this time, just for his character alone because it's so raw, like it's so uh, yeah. there's nothing. There's nothing brushed up. There's nothing romanticized about his character. It's uh, the indifference to everyone. Because I don't know, is he inherently racist? Like, okay, he has a hatred, but like he also is really dismissive of everybody. Yes. Um, you know, even like, okay, so initially the whole thing that sets this off, this search, is that uh, a neighbor's farm is raided. They take The Comanche take all the cows and the cattle. And a group of uh, men from the local villages come round, and they go off at, like they go off to try and rescue the cattle or whatever, not knowing that that was just a trap to lead all the men out of the village, while the Comanche could go back to the village and raid um, Ethan's brother's home. But in this group is a is a reverend or another. I think he was another commander or captain of the Confederate army, and Ethan just has no respect for him. Like, yeah. you know, like you said earlier, one of the, the scenes, uh, he doesn't accept, he, he doesn't take the oath. You know, he he's dismissive of everyone. Like, he is a, a, lone, a lone wolf, a lone soldier. Yeah. He's, uh, and he's just there's, angry at the, the world. There's a little smile in your face that I just think that makes you think, he's like, I could be like him. I could be oh. like him. <laughs> and you, you ask, you know, whenever we talk about these podcasts, it's like, you know, this should just be a chat about why you like this movie. Mm-hmm. You know what? Oh, I don't know. Some part of me would have loved to have lived in this time. I, I, you know, this I, yeah, I have a whole segment around <laughs> this. I have a whole thing ready to go, which is I... I literally sent you the first note I took I took of this movie, which is them and their little, like you say, very idyllic house. It's all beautiful. There's like all these blue plates. I don't know about the blue plate. There's something about the blue plates just stuck out to me. And there's like their nice wooden door. And I li- my first note is, Keen would love to live in this house. And I just think <laughs> you are such a man out of time, Keen O'Driscoll, that I just feel like the Midwest would have been perfect for you in, in, in this time and age. I just think there's something about it that just would be very... Like, it was just um, good, honest work. You know... <laughs> You'd go out work for eight hours a day, you'd come home and you'd know you did something. <laughs> uh, um, there you go. Ah, oh, look, no. I'm sure you can find something over there. Some sort. Of, well, look, you're living a bit of a spaghetti Western life anyway at the moment. Yes, sadly. Without the Western. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just spaghetti. Can I just want to talk a bit about also just John Wayne. I, I, I'm i just going to bring this up because, again, I, I have some points. It's just 
Okay, so actually, yeah, no, I suppose before I get into that, I just want to talk about how, like, the movie, it moves along very, like I said, a, a bit of a rapid pace. So it kind of, like, it feels weird to kind of go, and then they meet this person, then they meet this person. So I think it's kind of, it's great to just kind of talk about, the, like we say, sort of that sort of character development, and we've kind of talked a bit about John Wayne's character. And then in regards to the, the sort, sort of supporting actor for this role, um, Martin Prawley, like I said, that's sort of the guy who was adopted. He, he's played by a guy called Jeffrey Hunter. And he's sort of that interesting character in that, he just sort of has this sort of love for the family that took him in. Yeah. And that's what's kind of fueling him. So it's it's really interesting sort of that comparison or contrast of uh, John Wayne's character, Ethan, is going out of hatred and then Martin Prawley is kind of going out of love. And the two of them are yet, they don't really want to work together, but yeah. yet they both have that sort of same goal and they're working together to sort of, um, like you say, get those girls back. Not like... Sorry, and that, that's it exactly. Sorry, that's where my original point was leading to is that like they, you know, they're they're all let, all the men of the villages are let out and when they come back, you know, the village is, is raided or whatever. But then I think three three of them go out to search for Lucy and Debbie who've been taken. One guy gets killed and then it's just Brad. Martin Pauly. Brad, I can't remember his name. No, yeah. Brad, so no, Brad was Lucy's fiance or husband or something. And the quarterback. His quarterback, uh, Yeah. <laughs> But no, uh, it's then Martin Pauly and uh, Ethan who continue the search from then onwards. And it is. They have this like contrasting um, relationship. And you have this barbaric sort of hatred-driven, you know, Ethan versus this hope-filled, idealistic sort of Martin Pauly who I don't think, you know... they. And okay, spoilers. They they eventually find her. I, I don't think they they would have found her, or one person would have found her on, on no. by themselves. You know, they both needed each other to find yeah. uh, Debbie. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting contrast, and they they needed each other. Yeah. You know? Now, my biggest one of the other issues I, I sort of have with this movie, besides like I say, some of the sort of the pacing of it, is it's like there's another movie in this movie that I don't really get was when we're with the, and I'm going to say they're Swedish, only because their names are Lars Jorgensen and Mrs. Jorgensen. They have a daughter, or they have, I don't know who it is. It's like, what's her name? Uh, Laurie? Laurie, yeah, that's it. Laurie Jorgensen. And there's a weird thing with her and And she Martin. gets a letter. She gets a letter. That's a great letter, by the way. Because uh, he's basically like, hey, I'm still hunting for Debbie, by the way. I accidentally married someone. Whoops. And yeah, we're <laughs> killing some people. We're still looking for we're still looking for Debs. Um, I'm going to spell your name wrong. By the way, here's my full name. I definitely don't love you. Even though they have, they kind of fancy each other. And she just wants any hint of like affection from this man. But he's yeah. so... St- and he one letter quite- in five years is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> Women these days, my back in the, that's what you would have loved, Keen, back in the day. Women only wanting one letter every five years. None of this constant, all this constant texting, <laughs> all this SMSing nonsense. Back in your day, back in my day. Oh, I wish. Um, yeah, that that shit, just that all stuff felt very out of place for me. I, that was when the movie was at its weakest because we work up such a to such a peak towards finding them and we find out where Debbie might be and there's an attack and John Wayne is shot and it's all like what's going to happen and then we go back to some wedding scene for a bit of comedy and it kind of reminded me of that John Wayne not John Wayne sorry the John Ford Quiet Man movie where there's this beautiful thing about like you know his missus trying to get all her stuff and and then there's that wwe brawl at the end where it's like (laughs) you almost have to just appease the producers by having in something 
for I don't know. Yeah, it just lost yeah, me. I like, didn't get that. I I agree. You know, this time around watching it, I it really it really took me out of the movie a little bit, and uh, I don't know was it put in just for the comedic? Okay, like it the the plot has some relevance. But overall, it doesn't really add too much to the story. And, you know, I was kind of just wondering about, I, I don't really have a, I can't think of a rationale for it. But when I tried to think about it, I'm just wondering if it's to do with the scale of the search. Okay. So, like, I don't know how big this movie was when it came out in terms of globally, how far did it reach? But okay, if it's brought out in America, okay, Americans know the scale of their country. If a search takes five years, how on horseback, where do these guys go? I mean, my only thing is that maybe this intervening part of the, the wedding and this whole letter scene is to kind of give a sense of how long Martin and Ethan were out searching for uh, Debbie. You know, like, you know, you travel for five years on horseback, where are you going to go? You know, it's, it's a massive expanse of land and it, for me that's the only kind of logical explanation i can come up with for why they included it um, you are getting better at this movie stuff because that's a very very good point that makes a lot of sense <laughs> you know i i, I couldn't think no, of anything 100%, else yeah. uh, but for me i think they could have done it better because it did take me out of the movie a little bit it slowed down the pace but at the same time i i don't know how else you'd account for the fact that okay these two guys are gone for five years. How yeah, do you still like, really, how do you bring it back home a little bit? Do you know what I mean? Taking your time, lads. Like, just like <laughs> get it done. Like what's this wasting around? Taking the piss. But at the same time, it's a it's a good indication of how driven they are. Do you know what I mean? It's yes, a good no, indication no, of I get, and I get like we just said, that. their motivations. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Again, but that's what I mean by like because of the pace. It did. It, 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 I I got lost a bit in terms of like you say how long it takes for them to do it for do the search. Because like for me, what what kind of brought me, what kind of shocked me a little bit was that suddenly there's this whole letter scene, and then suddenly it flashes back to um, Ethan and Paulie on horseback, and suddenly they're in the snow, <laughs> and I'm just yeah. thinking like, how, how how far north have they gone? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. How? Because it it's not said how long they've been traveling. Apart from in the letter, it says five years. So, for me, it's just like wow. Like Martin is obviously driven for this love of his family, and then Ethan is driven for just this blind rage or this vendetta that he needs to complete. And yeah, you're thinking in the background that this is slowly building up to a confrontation between the two of them. You you can't see to which it does. One of them got you. One of them shot does. the other. <laughs> Like, this is the thing, do you know? And it's a really interesting character um, development, well, relationship between the two of them, because that point, the more I thought about it after watching it, like, for me, it did take me out of the movie, but, you know, uh, on reflection, it kind of just, it made me realize that it's slowly building up tension between the two characters. Yeah. Their motivations are clashing. Yeah. And they start not to trust each other. Yeah. Or not that they don't not trust each other. They... Yeah, they start to not trust each other, but it's it's slower than that. Yeah, um, yeah, and I, I think Ethan's character brushes you, it off as experience. Words, I feel like the words "slow burn" are coming along shortly. We haven't heard the word <laughs> "slow burn" yet on the podcast. I them yet. <laughs> no, not yet. But yes, but yes. Look, as we kind of wrap up here, I think we've, like I said, we've kind of covered off the main sort of characters and their sort of development throughout this story. And like I said, there's a lot of sort of twists and turns in the, in the meantime as well. We've talked about the production. Um, 
is there anything else I guess that's worthwhile of kind of mentioning about this movie before we sort of wrap up? Yeah, okay. Like I, I suppose just to, I had three scenes that I wanted to. Let's go, Keen's three talk scenes. About. <laughs> the first scene is. So you mentioned that, like I, I didn't really do too much prep for this really, but one scene that did kind of, you know, make me think of other scenes was I'm a big fan of Star Wars. So basically where they return back to the ranch to see the house burning, it's it's a complete... I, was, I had to Google which came out first. Obviously this came out first, but I just had to Google to be sure because it's a carbon copy, or at least the Star Wars version is a carbon copy of where Luke uh, comes back to his aunt and uncle's house burning and the look on Ethan's face. And it's a, it's, I don't know what they call it, but like the camera pan, camera pans from the house burning to Ethan's face, back to the house burning, back to Ethan's face. It's like a double, a double pan or whatever. And it's, it's, uh, you just see the, the horror or the, the destruction. And it, it, it just reminded me of Star Wars. And I was like, that must be a big scene. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely no coincidence, Keen, because like I said before, um, Spielberg, Spielberg, Scorsese. And there's also no dialogue, and a, actually. Sorry. And a load of other, there you go. And a lot of other people who I don't actually know have mentioned before that they were influenced in this movie. Um, and then the other scene was, I think, where, like, it's not too long after that one where they, the group of men from the surrounding villages with the Reverend and John Wayne and Marty and all the others, they go out searching for the Comanche. And suddenly there's two groups of Comanche flanking them either side. And this whole scene for me was class because... Is this one on the river? Before they get to the river. Before they get to the river. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So like you have the settlers, so Ethan and the Reverend and whatever, like riding in a straight line, directly straight down the camera on horseback. And then you have the Comanche flanking them either side, going up and down over these like hills or whatever. But you get the sense of just convergence and slowly yes. the music starts to build like, and it's a huge scene of tension and you don't know who is going to act first. Like it's really tense. I was like, I actually, I couldn't remember from all the times I watched it when I was younger, I couldn't remember who acts first. Do the settlers start to ride or shoot first or do the Comanche start to attack first or what? You know, it's a really good scene in terms of just building the tension. For me, that was really impressive. But also yeah. just, just on that on that scene, by the way, as well, my biggest thing was the horses running into the river and falling on cue. Like back in the days, what? how did they train horses to like fucking fall on cue? But not only fall on cue, but fall in water on cue and not like kill the people on horseback. Incredible. <laughs> it's just like, and there's one scene in particular later on, on a horse that I'm going to mention after your scene, but like there's one scene in particular on a horse that I, it, I'm blown away by. But sorry, what, what's your last scene or what's your third well, favourite scene? My third favourite scene is the last one. Um, it's the is very... The one going down the hill? No, no, it's the very end, end scene. Is, uh, oh, yes. is the doorway scene where, yes. and I don't know, should we save it till, till later? We both discussed it. Can I talk about my, the, the scene I have yeah, just yeah, because yeah. it ties go, into go, your go. scene so much. There's a scene where they run down a big fucking hill, super st- uh, steep. And I'm going to say it's an actress playing Debbie, Debbie being the, 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 the niece that's kidnapped. 
that's definitely not a woman because I could so tell it's a lad. It's like a stunt performer. It's almost stunt lad. <laughs> and she's like running down this steep hill with like rocks in boots flawlessly. Yeah. And it's all this beautiful one shot. And it's kind of shot through a cave as well. Like yeah, you're saying, yeah, that's yeah. all that doorway scenes. And then like Clint Eastwood, not Clint Eastwood, sorry, I assume Clint Eastwood because horse and race and whatever, westerns. Like, he's coming, dip, and he's chasing on the horse down this steep hill. And it's yeah. like this person running away. And there's such tension, not only from a uh, narrative safety perspective, <laughs> but like you say, from a safety thing of like, these are these actors are not safe. And then she stumbles and falls. And this is a big climactic scene of you're like, like you kind of said, we do not know what's going to happen when Ethan meets Debbie and he rushes yeah. towards her and he just fucking, got, you don't know what she, and he just picks her up, puts her on the horse and brings her home. Yeah. And I think that was the scene where I was like, to sort of have such a climactic, to have such a like, climactic action scene mixed with climactic emotional payoff. It was yeah. just masterful in that, like, there was no, there was no uh, overindulgence in, like, how many shots they had to do or camera movements. It was all one shot and it was all practical as well. And, like, that's yeah. what I mean. Like, this movie, the production of it, it's so well made. But, like you said, it leans into, like, your, what you were saying there and, like, the last shot and, like, your third favourite scene so well. No, like, you're dead right. I, you know, I, I would have ranked that, you know, you know, fourth or fifth, my favorite scene. All uh, right, that's fine. Yeah, no, no, it's true. Like, you, you don't know what he's going to do, so it's, an, it's yeah. an emotional payoff. And I think he he himself, he, like the character, decides in that moment because, you know, I don't know how many years in total it's been, maybe six, seven, eight years, five, I don't know. Uh, but to finally hold her, that physical connection of holding his niece, maybe the woman he, he loved, potentially his daughter, holding her again physically do I kill her? Is she really a settler now or has she become a Comanche? It's, it's a, it's a huge tension point and it's, it's really well done. Um, but then that leads into like my, you know, my favorite scene or, um, and you know, I didn't care too much about this when I was younger, but at the end it kind of hit me. And this time around is, you know, because he delivers Debbie back to, I, I can't remember who he hands her to, um, it's an old woman anyway, or she back to this farmstead ranch, um, and they all they all arrive at the doorway at the porch, and it's shot from inside the ranch, looking outwards at the the desert or the plains, and uh, everyone there's no no real dialogue. He just hands her. It's a time of celebration. He hands her off, and uh, everyone walks inside slowly, but he stays outside, and no one even acknowledges him after that. Like everyone looks. He, he hands her off and then he stands to the side and then everyone slowly files into the house and then he slowly walks up to the doorway, the doorway and inside is all dark, looking out is bright but wild and desert-like and he kind of just folds his arms unsure as if you're like a child going to school for the first day, you don't know what you're meant to do, you know, and it's, it just, for me it's like, okay, here's a character who has no idea what he's meant to do in this social situation. Like, he's not built for this. He's not designed for that. He's a, a soldier. He's a warrior. He's, he's, he's not meant for peaceful war. times. Like he's, off to, he's off to, like, he finished Civil War, he came to this, he's on to that. Exactly, but he's at a loose end because yeah. the, the search is over. The thing he's been doing for the last six years has suddenly come searcher. to an end. He's the founder. He found he, her. But he just turns around and he walks slowly away into the desert, you know, yeah. in you know, throughout this doorway and it's, 
you know, uh, for me, it was just class. Like he, yeah, yeah. he's cut loose. He, there's no place for him in the rest of the movie or whatever story follows on from this. Searches yeah. two. I can't believe she got lost again. <laughs> Taken two. <laughs> Taken two. <laughs> no. So for me, that was my my favorite yeah, scene. No, that's very fair. Keanu Driscoll. Anything else to add about this movie before we wrap up today? No, I mean, like, apart from that, I'd say go watch it if you're looking for, uh, you know, uh, if you have an easy two or three hours to to lose on a Sunday evening, Sunday afternoon. It's on IT. Uh, 100%. I I, I agree. I don't think, like I said, I I love how it was made. I love the production elements of it, and I think it's well worth watch for that reason alone. Um, Keanu Driscoll. Thank you so much again for coming back on the podcast. You're back again. You've done two episodes in the space of like a couple of months. That's impressive going, I have to say. Thank you so I know. much. I'm just hoping that once you start making money, you'll give me a job. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm waiting for you, that call. You, you, you and me both. You and me both. Uh, I also want to say thanks to anyone who's listened to this or any of the other ones. If you would like to keep up to date with the podcast, there are a couple of things you can do. You can follow at Reeling in the Peers on Instagram. We put the, ticks, uh, the clips on TikTok. You can also follow the uh, YouTube where we put the full... Uh, audio podcast up there as well you can follow myself on Letterboxd I'm yet to convince Keen to get in Letterboxd but just give me a couple more years and I can do it if you'd like to contact the show there's a couple of ways to do it there is a Q&A on this podcast on Spotify that you can mention any sort of comments or queries or questions that you might have or you can email reelingintheperiods at gmail.com you be sure to subscribe and follow on Spotify and Apple give us some five stars give us some five stars why not like that's all I ask and most importantly if there are any other classics with Keen you would like to see happen do let us know. Keen, any, any sort of tidbits or hints or what you're going to pick next? Oh, I don't know. I was kind of thinking um, Ben-Hur or there's another one with uh, Charlton Heston. I think it's Charlton Heston. El Cid is another ben, class Ben-Hur is four hours and I swear to God, if you see the word slow burn, I'm going to murder you. I cannot do a four hour slow burn. It, it, it's going to be Ben-Hur. Um, <laughs> For fuck's sake. <laughs> Um, Judah Ben Hur, yeah, it's uh, it's got Jesus in it. Um, okay, oh, so I'm gonna love it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, it's got Jesus in it, so that's or El Cid is another favorite. Um, so yeah, that's either or options, yeah. very, very options. Right, we'll have to see. We'll go for the four-hour one. <laughs> <laughs>